Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. And thank you for joining us. Welcome back to the Dead Parent Club podcast. Each week, we're going to be talking about what it's like to be members of the Dead Parent Club and also chatting to brilliant guests about their grieving journeys. We'll also be hearing from people far more qualified than us that can give you some top advice on navigating this new normal. So welcome everyone to the Dead Parent Club. Now, today we are joined by rapper, author and broadcaster, Governor B. Isaac lost his father very unexpectedly in 2017 and noticed how toxic masculinity affected his ability to grieve openly. He wrote a book about his own experience of grief called Unspoken. And like us, he's entered into the world of podcasting about it. So hi, Isaac, and welcome to the podcast. And thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me, man. That was a pretty slick intro. I'm very impressed. <laughs> Seasoned professionals. Yeah, well, she is. Off to a good start. I mean, if I'm the professional amongst us, there's no hope, is there? <laughs> um, um, Isaac, let's start from the beginning, shall we? What was it like for you growing up in your family? It was cool. She had quite a, a good upbringing. I felt my parents had gone there and they came over to England in the early 20s, had me and my younger brother. I think they struggled a little bit financially, both had a couple of jobs at a time. Uh, we grew up on a council estate, kind of working class area. But in terms of my experience as a child, I never, ever felt like I lacked anything. Always had food on the table, bed to sleep in, didn't have the latest trainers or tracksuits or whatever, but I was really really happy and it wasn't actually till I got a lot older that I realized oh my parents were actually struggling quite a bit but they never ever you know put that burden on me so yeah I had a great upbringing good relationship with my parents my mum was a lot more vocal than my dad but I never doubted that either of them loved me my dad only spoke to me when he was telling me to do something or telling me off but <laughs> he's a good guy man um, and your mum was great as well so yeah I love my upbringing. So then Obviously, your dad passed in 2017. So can you kind of give us a sort of brief introduction to what happened and how your life changed straight after that? Yeah, sure. Um, So my dad basically started coughing in his sleep and my mum said that it didn't really feel right or sound right. So she told him to go to 
the doctors and he was quite reluctant because he's, you know, the kind of guy that's like, nah, I don't go doctors, don't go to the GP, I'm all right, I'm probably just a bit tired and that kind of stuff. Um, but I stayed there for a few days and so he went to the doctors, they couldn't really find out what it was, so they referred him to the hospital. He got checked over and this is all in a space of like three days. And as he's walking out of the hospital, he kind of feels really faint. Um, and so they keep him in for longer. His condition basically started to deteriorate quite rapidly. And a few days later, he passed away. And it wasn't mm -hmm. until after um, they did the post-mortem and they had done some initial tests and the results came back that they realized he had cancer. It was called um, T-cell lymphoma, a cancer of the blood, but a really aggressive form. And that's what he passed away from he could have had it for like a few weeks could have been a few months but he wasn't mm -hmm. aware that he had it and knowing my dad even if he felt like a bit tired or not right he probably just went for a nap and just made himself feel all right and kind of went back to work and stuff like that but yeah he mm -hmm. passed away after a really short battle with with cancer and yeah it was super unexpected hadn't really lost anyone that close to me um so obviously i live with him saw him every day that kind of stuff um, I lost like a few friends earlier on in life to that youth violence and my grandma and stuff she was in Ghana so there's like an element of, of distance there um, but because it was my dad I think he just knocked me for six and didn't really know how to deal with it other than you know what I've been taught from young and that's just you get on with it stiff up a lip and, and keep it moving but it didn't really last very long before I had a bit of a, a breakdown. How old were you at this point Isaac? Um, I was 27 when my dad passed away. Mm, yeah. So kind of being told to have that kind of stiff upper lip and get on with it, that's quite different to how people traditionally grieve, isn't it, in Ghanaian culture? Um, yeah, in a way. I don't think it's different to how the men are kind of conditioned to grieve at funerals and stuff women are very like vocal and stuff and you know almost it's accepted if they're emotional or visibly crying and stuff like that and I think the guys are okay to do that but there's definitely like an expectation that you just got to be strong do you know what I mean mm -hmm. these things happen you got to be strong for the people around you that you still have left and and that kind of stuff um there was loads of people around my house and I think like in Ghanaian culture um you're never left alone, which is a good mm -hmm. thing. can be overwhelming sometimes, but it is a good thing. But yeah, generally, there is an expectation like that the guy has to be strong. And I'm the eldest child as well. And there's an additional expectation on being the eldest child because you kind of just assume responsibility after you've lost like, someone like your dad, you know what I mean? And obviously, you know, with this stiff upper lip, it's only so long really that it can be sustained until it starts having an impact on your mental health, I'd imagine. And you mentioned, Isaac, how you coped with it then. How did you cope with the loss of your dad? What kind of things did you turn to? Um, I turned to drink and basically distancing myself from the people that really loved me because... It felt too overwhelming. Like everyone was like always asking me if I was okay and they wanted to be there for me, but I didn't know how I wanted them to be there for me. So people like my mum, people like my wife, because with my wife, like if she's going through something, she likes people to you know be like all up in her space, giving her cuddles <laughs> and that kind of stuff, like asking her if she's all right. Um, but with me, I just like people to leave me alone. So if she's mm -hmm. in the house just like rubbing my back checking them I'm okay and stuff and I'm just like oh can you get off me like obviously I didn't say it I was just 
thinking mm. that I might because I just wanted my space. So I think I just distanced myself from the people that love me because I wanted to isolate. And I turned to a lot of alcohol just to try and help me sleep and numb the pain a little bit. And it was actually about three months after my dad passed away where I took the opportunity to go on tour in America because I just wanted to get mm. out of England for a bit. And I remember on the last tour date, we was in California and I woke up feeling really, really heavy, which is actually quite rare for me. And then that's when I started to get like mental health flags or maybe something's not right. And so I walked mm. to the beach, even though I can't swim, but I just went to the beach anyway because I was in California. And I just burst into tears. And that was the first time that I had cried for years and years and years. But after I cried, I just felt this freedom that I hadn't felt in a long, long time. And mm. I think that was just like the alarm bell of, oh, okay, maybe it's okay to show your emotions and let it up. So what did you do at that point then when you kind of realised like mm, maybe the way that I'm handling this isn't the best for me? What yeah. happened after that? Did you seek out professional help? Did you kind of return to your family and start having those sort of open conversations with them? Yeah, I think the first thing I did when I got back was speak to my family, like my mum, my wife, my little brother. And I was like, look, I know I've distanced myself and I've recognised that's probably not the best way to deal with my emotions long term. Mm -hmm. And I want to be in a position where I can practice being honest with you lot because I know you love me. And that was actually really hard for me because I'm like an internal processor. I'm an undersharer. And so a way for me to move forward, I realized that I had to start sharing and I had to start practicing vulnerability. So I just practiced like sharing what was on my heart. In addition to that, I started counseling. My first counsel was actually terrible. I want to put a name out there in a... Uh, website so no one goes but um I won't do that uh, but I went to another one and they were great well, people say it's like dating though right counseling like it's yeah. not you have to like kiss plenty of frogs to find <laughs> to find the right one I think that's so true uh, yeah that's actually a good way to look at it um mm. I didn't do too badly then because my second one was um the one, the one. <laughs> yeah <laughs> the one, yeah um and that was like a massive help man um and then another thing as well is my faith I think like my parents are Christians anyway so we grew up like with a lot of faith but when my dad passed away I just felt like really far from faith because I'm like well I'm actually mm. angry at God and if I was to pray I would just pray like really angry prayers and stuff um and then my mate told me then why don't you just try and pray like angry prayers and say God why have you done this and I started to do that and it actually made me feel a bit better so yeah counseling was a big help faith was and yeah just practicing sharing stuff with people in my life that were close to me I had a similar kind of experience with faith because I was brought up in like a very Christian household. As a teenager, I did the classic thing of just like, don't want to do that. That's not me, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then when my mum died, I was away at uni and somebody who became a really close friend of mine was a girl that worked locally and went to a local church. And because of her, I started getting back into going to church. And yeah. like ever since then, I've found a real appreciation for that again. And I think... Yeah. When some people say, you know, how can a God be real when these terrible things happen? But actually that faith provides so much comfort to people in, in actually the darkest times. So I think yeah, it's, it is such a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think like the church I grew up in, you can never really doubt God or like, ask questions. And mm -hmm. so I thought, well, if I haven't got anything nice to say, I'm not going to say anything at all. But mm -hmm. I've learned that like if he says he's as big as he is, then you should be able to deal with my little questions and my little doubts and stuff. And the massive thing for me is perspective so like every father's day i don't know why like but well, i do know why because i miss him but every father's <laughs> birthday i get really upset because it feels like he's getting further and further away mm -hmm. but then with my faith perspective i'm like actually 
Well, if heaven's real and I believe he's up there, then I'm actually getting closer and closer to seeing him again every year. Oh, wow, I love that. Yeah, yeah. that's been a massive Really like that way of looking at it. And also, Isaac, you know, all the kind of coping mechanisms that you spoke about there of outward as they are inward, you know, your faith, talking about it and just sharing are all the kind of things that people would say are going to help you ultimately in this grieving process once you've internally processed things to be able to share those. And writing has been a part of that for you, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And you should have been my counsellor. Um, but yeah, writing was, uh, <laughs> writing was a, a big one. It was because I'm not good at communicating just in like normal, in normal, like speaking to people. I find that writing for me is that like, it's like really cathartic because like the family I grew up in, we didn't like sit around the table at 7.30 every night, have dinner together and talk about our day. So I didn't have all that practice. And so I really struggle communicating how I feel. But when I start writing lyrics, it just seems to come out in like a really creative way. And it just seems to flow. And it helps me process my own feelings. And it's obviously monkshood in the sense that it helps other people as well that might hear the music or whatever. But it's been massive for me, man. Huge. It's such a paradox, isn't it? How you can perceive yourself as somebody who doesn't like to open up, doesn't like talking about things, but you can actually bear all in music and obviously you've yeah. written the book as well haven't you unspoken yeah do you know I, f I think it is you know when you have a conversation with someone yeah and you kind of plan what you're about to say and then the other person just says something completely that throws you off and you've got to think of what you've got mm. like, I don't like being interrupted when I'm processing my feelings when I'm rapping and I'm making music it's like completely uninterrupted no one can sway me in a different direction and I think that's what what's beautiful about it and I think the book was just an extension of that because there's only so much my dad passed away you can get into a three minute song you know what I mean but with a book um you can go into all kinds of different angles and, and different topics and ways that it impacted me before I go into that I just wanted to share something really funny that you just reminded me of that my dad said so since my mum's died my dad relied on my mum a lot like social occasions my mum was the chatty one my dad was the kind of like reserved one and he started when he's like going on like a Zoom call or having a phone call with somebody that's planned. He'll write notes on his phone of topics that he wants to like talk to them about and ask that's them so about. Cute. <laughs> he said Please, it's me can I the day. Dad? That is very cute. <laughs> because he gets because he gets quite like nervous and he'll forget. So he actually has like a, a notes of what to do. So maybe you can do that, you know. <laughs> And you can yeah, plan for conversations. Yeah. I've got notes for this call, actually. That I've <laughs> no, I'm joking, but yeah, that's sweet. Um, yeah, it made me laugh. That is very, very cute. Also, any notes, if you did have any, Isaac, could end up getting thrown out with the way this conversation goes anyway. <laughs> <laughs> when you cast your mind back across your grieving journey so far, Isaac, do you feel like a different person or do you feel like the same person, but your approach has changed? If there are differences, what are they? I'm interested to know. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I feel like I'm the same person, but I didn't know who I was. Like, I didn't know this version of myself. Because one thing like all my friends used to say to me when he died, oh, Isaac, like, you're acting really out of character. Like, you're drinking a lot and, you know, like a, a lot more of an angry person and stuff. But I actually have a different perspective because I feel like in life, it's so easy to be like a good person with like no addictions and stuff when life's going your way. Like if life's amazing, it doesn't really challenge you. But I think you actually reveal like your true self or the true like, 
I don't know, capabilities of like the, your worst self when you go through tough times. Mm-hmm. So I actually think my dad passing away revealed like what I was really like when like I don't know if I can swear about that. Like, yourself up. <laughs> yeah, like what, what I'm actually like when shit hits the fan. That's the real mm-hmm. me. Because like when life's amazing, that's not really the real me. That's just like the perfect me that's not really being challenged. And so yeah, I think in answer to your question. I found like the real me, like my true self. And I tried to improve that person, like who I am when life doesn't go my way and when things are a bit dark, like challenging myself to be the best I can be in those situations. It's, yeah, it's yeah, character, isn't it? It is character, you're right. And that really resonates. Building. No, yeah, but it actually is because <laughs> the thing is, it's when you're forced to look inside yourself and dig deep and you have these stark moments of going, who the fuck am I? What am I doing? What is my life? What is my purpose? And when you're asking yourself such huge questions, it can lead you in all sorts of dark, it can lead you down dark paths and it can, Mm. that can eventually guide you to great places. Like as you've experienced, Isaac, um, Mm. how much of a role would you say um, toxic masculinity played or has played so far in your, in Mm. your grieving journey? Yeah, it was massive at the start because I think I was conditioned by like being the oldest child and knowing that I had to make sure everyone else was all right. So don't share my feelings. Also growing up on a council estate, you're like, no one wants to be a victim. So don't be vulnerable because your life won't be great if you're vulnerable. Just being a child of a Ghanaian like, immigrants. Um, do you know what I mean? My parents came over here for a better life. So you ain't got time to like worry about your feelings and your emotions. Like we're too busy trying to further ourselves. All those kind of things came into play. But I think when I started crying on that beach that time, it just kind of made me realize that why am I putting the pressure on myself to be this strong man? And, you know, a lot of guys say to me, oh, what's wrong with like toxic masculinity or whatever? And I don't think there's anything wrong with being strong. That's not what I'm saying. I don't even think there's anything wrong with, like not really crying if you're not a crier not everyone's a crier but I just think mm-hmm. when your mind and your body is telling you to be vulnerable or to let something out or to cry and you force yourself not to do that because you're trying to be this like strong man of all the bravado and stuff then that's when it becomes a problem that's when it becomes detrimental to your mental health but yeah man if your mind and your body's like yeah I'm fine not crying and cool but um mm-hmm. I think for me everything within me was saying, let it out, like, just let it out. And I was fighting against it. And so I just had to, to do it. And I think that's how I played a part. Yeah, I think you're right. That's definitely where toxic masculinity comes into play. It's not a case of every single man has to cry and every single man has to show his emotions. Mm. It is, you know, it's the case of accepting those feelings if you're getting them and not feeling conditioned or like society expects you not to express those emotions. Yeah. But have you had many people contacting you who have just like admiring your stance on that and the way that you're speaking up about that especially with grief yeah I actually couldn't believe how many people like got in touch just even like fans on social media mm. right down to my close friends opening up like, I've known these people for like over 20 years and they've just started opening up about their life and stuff that they've been struggling with and you know grief stories and we had this one thing so a few of us lost a friend at about 15 years old on our estate mm. got stabbed and at the time, because you're just young, obviously everyone was hurt, but the culture of the estate is you just kind of move on. And then it got brought up after my book came out. And most of my friends were like, yeah, I went home that night and I was crying my eyes out and it was really hard to deal with. But I felt like I couldn't tell anyone. And we kind of talked about it again and stuff with fresh eyes and fresh perspective. And it was beautiful. And yeah, I was surprised with the feedback because 
I didn't put out the book because I thought, oh, I'm going to be like some role model or I'm going to be that <laughs> person for, for masculinity. I just did it because I thought it could help a few people and it was good for me. Um, so the fact that people are like, yo, this is like changed my life and this has helped me talk to my parents and restore some of my relationships and speak about stuff that I've never spoke about and go to counselling and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's been incredible. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You mentioned, Isaac, that you were the oldest child. Have your family and the way they grieve around you, has that changed since you have, you know, become more open about your grief? Yeah, do you know what's so mad about that question, yeah? yeah. So last night, basically, long story, my cousin's a actress. She won two BAFTAs yesterday. She's called Michaela Cole, but she had like a little after party. Cheers. I don't know why I'm saying thank you. I didn't win. But, um... <laughs> thank you for the family. Yeah, good one. So we had like a little family after party last night and my brother's obviously drunk here yeah? um, and he's put his arm around me and he's like, he's doing the, bruv, I love you, man. Do you know what I mean? I don't say it enough, but I flipping love you. I'm not going to lie. Like when dad died, I was a bit, I felt a bit weird because as the eldest, everyone was coming up to you and asking you if you're all right. And do you know what I mean? What should they do and that kind of stuff. And I felt like a bit forgotten about but I just thank you that you protected me in that time. And I just want to say I love you and that kind of stuff. So it's mad, man, because I think my family and stuff, we look back at that time. Sometimes we're upset. Sometimes we're happy. Sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we smile. But ultimately, it's brought everyone closer together and everyone's a lot more open with each other. So that's a beautiful thing. It really, really is. That was, even hearing you talk about that just felt warm. Like, you know, it was mm. lovely to listen to. It sounds like a pretty obvious answer, this, but... Why do you think it is so important for women, of course, but men in particular, Isaac, to be open mm. about their feelings if they're weighing heavy on them? Two answers come to mind straight away. And the first one is it's actually beneficial to that person, for that man. Like, this is not just something like, oh, look what I've learned. It's toxic masculinity. I'm going to impress you with all my knowledge. It's not that at all. It's just I actually care about men embracing their feelings, feeling all the things because it makes for a more fulfilling life for them. It makes for healthier, you know, mental health for them, which is always a good thing. And then the second thing is my mum has huge anxiety. And I think it's from picking up the pieces during like a whole marriage and a whole parenthood because me, my dad, my brother didn't talk. So she has to mm -hmm. carry all of the emotional baggage for everyone. And that's just not healthy. So she's always wondering, oh, I wonder if they're all right. 
they don't talk or what if they're going through something crazy deep and I don't know about it and it's made her a really anxious person so I think for men it's not only beneficial for themselves but I actually think we take away a lot of the burden from women as well like women shouldn't have to go through society just carrying emotional baggage for men because they've got their own stuff to deal with do you know what I'm saying so I think healthier men just equals like healthier women healthier society in general um, Isaac, you know I you said that. that I should have been your counsellor. Can you be mine? Because that's one of the most insightful things I've ever heard about this topic. <laughs> You've just blown oh. me away because I've never yeah. thought I am a woman and I am guilty of carrying a lot of emotional baggage for those around me. Mm. And I mm. have done that for many years, completely, just almost dutifully, just assuming that role. And to hear mm. a man speak about that and look at it, not only from a male perspective, but to think about women and how that may, might put a strain on them. Mm. That's changed my perspective. You have just mm. in that one moment changed my perspective. I've never thought about that. So thank you. It just wow. makes everybody better. Just more open conversations, more open people just makes everything better. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of, and you'll have probably found this as well, Isaac, there's a lot of things in society that really, we've just assumed that that's just what happens over an extended period of time, long before we were ever even here. And it's the yeah. same thing that happens when you're grieving a loved one like a parent is you have to unlearn a lot of what you've been quite often subconsciously taught growing up. We have to unlearn a lot of those things in order to live a far more fulfilled life. And you yeah. strike me as the kind of person that has invested a lot of time to unlearn a lot of things, hence why you have gone down this road. And I don't believe this is the end of your journey by any stretch of the imagination, but my God, like you're, you're in a great place now, it seems. Yeah, I am. But I think the, the key thing to unlearning is I've spent, you know, 30 years of my life being one way. And so I might walk out of a counselling session feeling like 10 stone lighter and think, right, this is how I'm going to approach life now. But after two weeks, I'm going to slip back into my usual routine and patterns because that's all I know. So unlearning is like a constant process. And I'm never, ever going to arrive at the place of, right, now I've got it all worked out. Now I'm the perfect communicator. And now my mental health is great. It's going to be riding the waves and I've got to be consistently yeah, just open to, right, I might slip back in sometimes, but you fall down, you get back up again and you keep going, you know. It's, it's about the journey rather than the destination, I think. Yeah. You're right. A, a lot of us spend, um, I feel like we're getting really deep here and I am I am absolutely here for it, guys. A lot of us <laughs> spend a lot of time, like, you know, we work on our work, for example, on our careers, if we're pursuing that. We work on a lot of external things, but actually the mm. best thing you can work on, and I think grief, um, you know, losing a loved one at any age anyway, mm. really helps give you that perspective of going, I have to live with me for the rest of however long my life is. So it's me that has to dig deep, work out who I am and what I really want in this world. Yeah, yeah 100%. I was trying to think of something really smart to stay off the back of that, but I just agree with everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something, it's something we've learned from this, doing this podcast, isn't it, Emma? Like, you know, you can have one of the most traumatic experiences of your life, but it's amazing how it can give you that perspective and change you in such a positive way. Like the way that you're able to approach life now, Isaac, and obviously teach those learnings to your own children. Like that just creates a better generation as the years go on. And like, yeah, you've had a really crappy time. Like it is unbelievably shit, but being able to pass those learnings on, I think is one of the most beautiful things that like, I can't wait to teach my children to kind of live 
just more honestly like about yeah. yourself like i think it's gonna be amazing that's it i couldn't agree more and it feels so weird isn't it because you're like actually that was such a horrible time how can anything mm-hmm. positive come out of that but you know to be real something positive has come out i'm a, I'm a stronger person and you know i would obviously have my dad back in an instant if i could mm-hmm. but i can't and at least um like i've got a son now he's 18 months old like lockdown baby mm-hmm. and I'm going to take on some things that I've learned and make sure that he doesn't, well, he's just a better communicator and he's a bit more honest about his feelings than than I am, you know, than I was. Is it possible to get our parents back and keep the we've got going on? Because that would be great. (laughs) That would be ideal. But how, how, yeah, it's exactly that. You become your most authentic self, I think. And it is wonderful. I'm sure that your dad would be extremely content knowing that the lessons you've learned through the loss of him have allowed you probably in many ways to be a better dad for your son. Yeah, 100%. Um, he'd love that. I think that's the goal, isn't it? Like, he wanted me to be better than he was in all ways. And I want my son better, to be better than I am. And I think one thing I've picked up is just creating that space um, for my son. Like we didn't have a lot of space when I was growing up, you know, space to talk, space around a dinner table, space just in the front room having a conversation. There was always something on, like the TV's on or the radio's on or mm-hmm. someone talking about something random or auntie and uncle's around and that. So for my son, man, I was just trying to, he's only 18 months, so he's just like, can't even talk yet, leave me alone. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just trying to create more space for that to happen. <laughs> You're sat in front of him, like, tell me how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like throwing bricks. <laughs> can, can he come and join us on the podcast? Is that all right? <laughs> um, yeah, you can have him anytime you want. He's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, Isaac, what would you say to, well, to anybody, but particularly a young man who might have just experienced a loss now? Yeah, um, I'd say don't be ashamed to feel everything. So if you've lost someone close to you and you want to cry, don't be ashamed to feel that. Or if you've lost someone close to you and everyone around you is crying, but all you can do is laugh because you're thinking of all the good times, don't be ashamed to feel that either. Like, don't feel guilty to feel that, feel everything. Um, and then the other thing I'd say is, I always say this thing like, you got to look after the puddles before they turn into floods. So if you recognize that you're feeling low, like pay attention to that and try your best to equip yourselves with the tools to do that, whether it's, you know, counseling or speaking to friends and that kind of stuff. Because if you bury it, it just turns into something way bigger to deal with later on down the line. Very wise words. Very, um, very good advice. Well, before we ask you our final question and one of our most favorite um I just wanted to quickly touch on your podcast because obviously you've written a book you've kind of talked about your experience with grief and loss in your music but talk to us about the podcast what's it called what you, what's the aim of it who you're going to be talking to um because yeah. we'd love to kind of share some information about that as well because I'm sure it's going to be amazing yeah hopefully I mean I'm not as organized as you guys are I've had about a year break from the podcast but you can still check out the first season and it's called the lost tapes and I basically talk to people about their experience of loss and grief losing someone they've loved or something that they loved Um, Mm -hmm. and I started it because I realized that there's not like this 10 point plan because I'm very show me how to do it and I'll get it done (laughs) so when I'm googling how do you get over losing your dad? And there's like 55 different answers. I'm like, this is stressing me out. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just, if I talk to as many people as I can, then hopefully 
one person will say something that can help someone else because my story might not help anyone because they're like well I hate mm-hmm. counseling and I can't talk to anyone in my family because I hate them and all this other stuff and another person's story might be better or my story might be perfect for someone and someone else's might be awful for them so yeah just speaking to a wide variety of people about their experiences and trying to pick up little nuggets here and there and also I think it's great when people have been through or are currently going through something mad and they're still alive and still trying because person in their room right now wherever they are thinking of giving up it kind of gives them hope that if someone else can do it then I can keep going do you know what I mean that has been my like purpose with this podcast all along. It's showing that there is a future in grief, even when it feels like there isn't. There are people that have experienced something similar to you and they're living a really beautiful life, even though some days are really, really shit. Um yeah. it does get it does get a little bit easier. Yeah, it gives yeah. you hope and hope. As long as you've got hope, you have a reason to live. That's yeah. it. That's it. I love that. As long as you got I'm gonna write that down actually. <laughs> If you make that a lyric, can I copyright it, please? (laughs) Thank you. Um, you. Um, Just just finally, because honestly, this has been genuinely incredible. I don't say that lightly, Isaac. The way you speak, the person you are and the things that you've said, are they've made me think a lot and I thank you for that. Um, Just finally, can you tell us about your dad's a little bit more? Create the person create the image tell us who he was and what he meant to you and can you give us a favorite memory you have of him please yeah sure um that's powerful so my dad was uh, a selfless man he worked really really hard for his family i think that was his way of showing that he loved us um got 25 days annual leave a year only probably took 18 every year because he actually loved that mm-hmm. like don't know whether it's because he wanted to work hard for us or whatever it's because he just didn't like us much. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's always, if you need an airport, a lift to the airport, he's always first to offer. He won't even ask you for extra money. He was just very selfless, um, loved his family. He was a man of a few words, but loved to laugh. So I had a great group of friends. Um, and he's the kind of person that not many people could find to say a bad word about. Um, so he's an absolute legend. And my favorite memory of my dad is he's very shy. So he didn't really like coming to any of my shows because he was scared that people would know that he's my dad and he didn't want any attention. But I did a show at the Hackney Empire um, quite a few years ago, probably about 2013, 2014. And he came along and he was so shy to say that he was my dad that one of the film crew interviewed him after and he just pretended like he was just a random guy that bought a ticket to come and see me. Hey guy, he's all right, man. I really I've liked his music for a while and that kind of stuff. And Aww. I've got it on DVD now. I've got it on DVD, the the recording. So uh, I watch it every now and again to give me a little bit of a laugh. I love that. <laughs> what was, so much. What was his name, Isaac? Oh, his name was Charles Niboy Borque. And Niboy is um a Ghanaian name and it means firstborn. And so I gave my son the same middle name. Um so I love that. Well. What an incredible Peace. tribute that is. Yeah. Um, and what a nice memory as well amazing that you've got that on DVD like <laughs> the so privilege funny. of your position he is not my son <laughs> but you can actually watch that but you can watch a funny moment but I love yeah, that and, and I bet every time you watch it it brings him to life again yeah it does man and that's the great thing about because I'm in two minds you know with like the social media age part of me is just like if you come to a concert or you're having a good time out of your friends just put your phone away mm. and just enjoy the moment 
But then on the other hand, I'm like, actually, I'm quite glad that I got my phone out and filmed some stuff because I've got all those memories now. So yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's great. It's a catch twenty two, isn't it? Yeah. Isaac, it has been a real pleasure. Thank you so so much for joining us on the Dead Parent Club podcast and taking the time out to share your story and offer some pearls of wisdom to our listeners. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really so useful. Appreciate it. I'll wear green next time because both of you got green on. Oh, time. we have. <laughs> yeah, you didn't get the memo, did you? We'll let you know. <laughs> um, thank you, as always, for listening to the Dead Parent Club podcast. And remember, if you've got any suggestions or there's anything at all that you'd like us to cover, you can get in touch. Yep. Don't forget, you can email us at hello at deadparentclub.co.uk or find us on Instagram at Dead Parent Club Podcast. And we're on Facebook and Twitter as well. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.